In just a few moments, I'm going to read you a couple of verses from one of the Psalms. But before I do that, remember, worship is a time in which we bring all that we are into God's presence, and we do that together. Worship is not escape. Worship is not where we get entertained. Worship is not for us to check the box as if we've done the thing we're supposed to do this week. Worship is where we bring all that we are to God. So I ask, what went on with you this week? And while you're thinking about that, here's a little bit that went on with me. This was my first week back after being on vacation. So I was trying to get out from under some piles. I had meetings, went to the hospital a couple times, uh, had someone in my house, uh, had a new driver in my house. Someone got a driver's license in my house. Uh, 1619. If you don't know what that is, look it up. Hit me hard this week. Um, prepared, planned, all kinds of things. Realized that I got back to a town in which half the roads are closed. <laughs> How did that happen in two weeks? What happened in your life? Worship is where we remember that God is our rock. Listen to this. On God rests our salvation and our glory. My mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. I would love to look with you this morning in Matthew, the book of Matthew chapter 7. We are wrapping up our series through the Sermon on the Mount this morning. This summer we've been looking at and rummaging through that section in Matthew, Matthew chapter 5 through 7, which is considered Jesus' sermon called the Sermon on the Mount. And this morning we're looking at the last section, the last paragraph of this together. So I'm going to read verses 13 through 29. Uh, I hope that much of what I say is familiar to you for those of you who have been around a good portion of the summer um, because we're going to reiterate a lot of the things that we've been saying over, this, over these last 10 weeks. And by the way, I had a great vacation. Thank you for letting me go. Um, we had a good time as a family going to the mountains. We got to sleep. We got to enjoy good food. We enjoyed being together. We saw old friends. We saw and made some new friends. We worshiped. Um, I'll say again, we slept. Um, it, was, it, was, uh, it was nice to get a little bit of a break and to recharge some. So thank you for that. Uh, hopefully, hopefully I will uh, uh, feel better and have more energy after being away for a couple weeks. Um, what I'm going to read to you comes from the mouth of Jesus. It comes from the heart of God. It comes with the power of the Holy Spirit. So try to take this in. Beginning in verse 13 of chapter 7. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. 
A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall. Because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And a great was the fall of it. And when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching. For he was teaching them as one who had authority. And not as their scribes. Let's pray. Lord in heaven, it is good to be with your people in this place. Thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for giving us your word. Thank you for giving me good news to declare. Thank you, Jesus, that you have prayed for us 2,000 years ago that we would know you, grow, understand more about your truth. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are here, that you are present, that you are active. So we pray that you would act on us and make us see more and more of your goodness and faithfulness. Make us to see Jesus, that our lives would be changed, transformed, renewed, refreshed, For this week, for forever, for your glory I pray, Father, Son, and Spirit, amen. Do you remember a time or two in your life in which you were uh, in awe? Do you remember a time or two in your life in which you were amazed or just flat out astonished? I'll give you a couple from my life. Uh, I remember when I was in seminary, I heard this man deliver a sermon And he preached from Galatians 3, whether you know that passage or not is fine. And he explained so much from that passage that I thought it was impossible to learn anything else after I heard that. Now, I only say that because that's kind of my field is proclaiming God's word. And I heard someone who it seemed to me absolutely exhausted a passage of scripture. And I just felt absolutely in awe, in awe. I was amazed. Never heard anyone do that before, like that. Another time I was amazed. I got the opportunity to go to a professional tennis match. Some of you may not like tennis. That's fine. I love it. Even if you don't like it, I would encourage you to watch it sometime, especially if you can watch professionals. I got to watch someone hit a serve that was about 140 miles an hour. Sounded like a cannon went off. Just sat there amazed, in awe, astounded at what I was watching. 
The, the speed of it was so fast. They were so strong. It was amazing. I was astonished. Now, what I'm asking you to think about, if there's something in your life that jumps off and it comes out, and you think about being in awe or astonished or amazed, I'm not talking about the kind of thing where, like, you know, you get new windshield wipers on your car and you realize, oh, wow, I can actually see now when it rains. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the kind of amazement that you have when you hear your favorite song or your favorite version of a song and you are just amazed. You know, like, don't stop believing. Remember when you were, when you were singing that with your friends? Uh, living on a prayer, there are all kinds of these songs that you all know that you have been places and, and sung with your friends and some people that who weren't even your friends. Um, maybe some of you that are a little bit older, um, any song that Bob Dylan wrote that someone else sang, and if you don't know Bob Dylan, you need to look him up, if you like music at all, and then listen to people that sang the songs that he wrote. It's amazing. Uh, how about... Um, let's see, I wrote so many down here, I need to, how about Hooked on a Feeling? Those songs? Um, when we were in the mountains, we went to a restaurant that was kind of like half inside, half outside, and we were, as a family, all eating inside this restaurant, and the Elton John song came on, um, you know, Hold Me Close, Tiny Dancer, and the whole place started singing on the chorus. It was awesome. And for those of you that love The Office, we know the real words are hold me close, Tony Danza. You watch that? You remember that? I'm talking about the amazement of, of, of hearing that song that you love, singing it with your friends, hearing a version of your song that makes you realize, hmm, it's the same song, but it's different than I've heard before, and that's the way I want to always hear that song. That's the version I want. That's the way it should be. You know what I'm talking about? Because when you look at the Sermon on the Mount and you look back at verse 28 and 29, you realize that those who heard the message of Jesus, chapters 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew, those that heard the sermon, look at what it says in 28 and 29. They were astonished at his teaching. They were amazed. Meaning, and we'll come back to this later, but they heard a message in the way they hadn't heard before. And they didn't want to hear it any other way after that. They couldn't hear it any other way than the way that Jesus had presented the message. And they were amazed. They were astonished. And what that means for us today is that if we will hear what Jesus is saying, we can have that kind of amazement too. We can be in awe too. Because when you read those verses and, and when we read them together, you might have thought, well, man, this sounds, this sounds kind of negative. But it's actually words of life. So let's look together at, as we cap this up, as we recap everything and, and, and finish the Sermon on the Mount for now. Let's look at, and let's, let's, let's put the pieces together, all right? Let's look at these verses and put the pieces together. This is what Jesus wants to do. He wants to put these pieces, he wants us to put these pieces together. Here's the first piece. This whole section, 13 through 29, it's all one paragraph, and it all fits 
together. Yes, we're going to focus on the final image, verses 24 through 27, but the two houses that Jesus talks about. But this whole section, all these verses, 13 through 29, they all fit together. Look back at the bulletin if you have it. If you don't have a copy of the scriptures, look at the bulletin. Look at this. It all fits. Verses 13 and 14, Jesus is talking about two paths, meaning he's talking about people that are traveling in a direction, meaning everyone who hears the message of Jesus, everyone who hears this is going somewhere with your life. Everyone is going in some direction. Then you look at verses 15 through 20, and it's all about production, fruit from a tree, Meaning all of us are producing things in our lives. Whether you're in school and you're reading and writing or procrastinating, you're doing something. You're producing. All of us are producing. We are built to produce things and to make things happen. Verses 21 through 23 give you a little snapshot of the end in which all of us will appear before Jesus. So you got the reality that everyone's going in some direction. All of us are producing something. There's, our, our lives are coming to an end at some point. And all that leads is to verse 24 through 27, where Jesus is saying, the reason why you're headed in a certain direction, the reason why you're producing something, the reason why your life will end somewhere, all depends on 24 through 27, the foundation of your life. What? is our life built on. Jesus talks about two houses, one built on the rock, one built not on the rock, on something else. Everything fits in this entire paragraph. Everything fits, and Jesus wants us to put this together. So we're not thinking about production in our lives. We're not thinking about direction in our lives. We're not thinking about the end of our life apart from the foundation. And oftentimes, that's the thing that we don't want to talk about a lot. We'd rather just talk about, well, how can I produce more? Or is the direction I'm on going to lead where I want it to go? Or I'd rather not, to th I'd rather not think about the end of my life. And Jesus is saying, no, all those things are supposed to lead you to think about your foundation. Here's the second thing that we need to put together in all these chapters, in this whole sermon. It's not just that this paragraph fits together, it's that all of it fits together because Jesus wants to know that there is a counterfeit. Jesus wants us to know that a counterfeit exists. It does. Remember, we looked at some of this. A Folex is not a Rolex. Pleather is not leather. CZ is not a diamond. And for all of us Dr. Pepper fans out there, Dr. Thunder is not Dr. Pepper. <laughs> Jesus is saying there's a counterfeit, and it looks real, but it isn't real. It looks similar. Sometimes it can even look the same, but it's not the same. It's counterfeit. It's not real. Now, work with me here. Think about Jesus' whole sermon. He started off in chapter 5, actually the middle of chapter 5 after the Beatitudes, but Jesus is telling us that there's a righteousness of religious people, the scribes and Pharisees, 
There's a righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. And he says, but there's a righteousness that is beyond the righteousness of a scribe and a Pharisee. And that is what matters. Not the righteousness of someone who is outwardly religious, who is known for being a churchgoer and knows all this stuff about religion and God. There's something that's beyond that. And what's beyond that is what we all need. That's why if you go back and read, you remember how many times Jesus has said as he talks to us, hey, you have heard it said, but I say to you. He's saying there's a contrast. You've heard lots of religious people say this, but I, Jesus is saying, I say to you. Then he fills in the blank. You see, he's bending, there's this buildup. There are these different pieces that he's putting together. And not only does he do that, but Jesus' assumption throughout the whole sermon, throughout his whole entire discourse, is that people are doing similar things. Meaning when he talks about prayer, he says this, and when you pray. He talks about giving and says, and when you give. He assumes that people are in favor of marriage. He assumes that people are against murder. He assumes that people are against adultery. Every time Jesus addresses something, his assumption is that people are doing these things. Connect the dots. All of our lives are headed in a direction. All of us are producing something. All of us, perhaps, are praying. All of us are giving. All of us care about other people. All of us are against murder. All of us are for marriage. Jesus is assuming that we're living our lives and many of our lives look similar. And Jesus even assumes this. John Paul mentioned this last week. If you look back in verse 6 of this chapter, Jesus is assuming that we're in relationship with others. And that relationship takes an incredible amount of discernment. Because there are actually people that you might be in relationship with who just take information that you give and use it for themselves. There are actually relationships that you can be in in which all the other person wants to do is to make themselves larger in your life. In other words, they want you to follow and look like them. And the way you measure growth is how you look like them. So relationships are then not really based on grace, actually more about power. And Jesus is saying, all of us need to be aware of that. And the pinnacle of this is in the verses that we looked at this morning. Verses 21 through 23. The counterfeit. Here it is in bold print. Here it is, assuming everything that he's been saying before. He says, there'll actually be people, look at verse 21 through 23, who come to me and they say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And Jesus says, I'm going to say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. Think about that. Jesus is not mincing words here. He's being very direct. He's being very clear. He wants us to think about the counterfeit. When he describes this group of people, what he's saying is this. The reason why someone would say, Lord, Lord, is because that repetition implies emotion. These are people that are emotionally attached 
These are people who are doing things not just because they think it's right, but because they feel like they want to. And it's not just that they're emotionally invested. It's that they actually know some true things about Jesus. That they call him Lord. Meaning that to some extent their beliefs, their beliefs jive what the Bible says about Jesus. That he actually is God. And not only that, but these are people who have served. Look at what they say. Didn't we prophesy in your name, Jesus? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we do all these things? And Jesus says, depart from me, I never knew you. Think about that. Jesus is saying there is a counterfeit. And the counterfeit is not the real thing. Now just probe that a little bit. Just, just dive into that a little bit. You realize that Jesus is giving a picture of meeting with someone, meeting with a group of people, and all they can point to is everything that they have done. Can you imagine the tone that, those, that these words in verse 22 are, are, are spoken in? Like, Jesus, Jesus, we did all these things for you. Look at everything we've done. Look at our to-do list. Look at all we've accomplished. Look at everything we've done. That's it. There is no living relationship with Jesus. They've just done all these things for a really long time, and they have banked their entire future, their entire hope, their entire expectation on what they have done. And Jesus is saying that is absolutely counterfeit. That's not the real thing. That's not the message of Christianity. That's not the message of Jesus. That's not the message of the Bible. That's why Jesus says this out of such love and care. Because he's surrounded by a culture, much like we are, in which people somewhat know the right thing. And people can be duped into thinking, well, if I just do the right thing, then everything will work out. And Jesus is saying, the counterfeit looks real, but it's not real at all. There's nothing there. They don't really know the will of God. They don't have a relationship with Christ. They've just been busy for Jesus, doing all kinds of things. But nothing, nothing exists at a relationship level. You see, Jesus is going as deep into our lives as you can possibly go. He's wanting us to put all these pieces together because he wants to go way, way down. He wants to go to the foundation of our lives. And he wants us to think about our lives. And he wants us to think about what we do. He wants us to think about the direction of our lives. He wants us to think about what are we leaning on? What are we hoping in? What would we do if someone said to us, hey, what do you think about God? What will we say? Why does God love you? What will we say? Jesus is going way, way down. So let's try to step back for a second and put life in perspective. Let's, let's think about the house analogy. Let's think about the foundation. Let's think about the path analogy. Let's think about the fruit analogy. Let's, let's think about all those things together. 
I'll try to do this as quickly as I can. I've said this before, but I hope perhaps saying it again will make more sense and give you space to reflect. Remember, I'm trying to put our lives into four, four minutes summary, okay? The first part of our life, the first part of our lives, we live to get what we want out of life. We pursue education. We pursue a career. We pursue a job. We are interested in success. We're interested in money. We're interested in sex. We're interested in family. Or we're interested in being single. We're interested in children. Or we're not interested in children. We're interested in friendship. And to get really clear, to be honest, to start off with, most of our lives is about what our parents wanted for us and what they wanted for us in all of those areas. Fast forward past that to the next part of life. We'll call it the quarter life. This is, this is when we typically think that our lives are ascending and where we're actually going somewhere. We've perhaps started our career or have found a job that we really like, and we see that it's a place where we can move up and be mobile. Perhaps we start a family or not, and we've decided not to. And as we're thinking that we're on the rise and our lives are really going somewhere, we begin to hear the whispers that a better job, a better life, a few tricks can fix our relationships or our marriage. Moving toward more money, we begin to hear the whispers that those things aren't really satisfying, but they're so, those desires for those things are so deep down in us that we ignore those whispers. We ignore it because our desire for those things is so strong and so deep. And what we find typically when that stuff clashes is that we realize that we are far angrier than we ever imagined. Start getting angry at things that you never would have thought of being angry at. Start realizing there was more bitterness in our lives than we recognized. But we keep going and ignoring the whispers. All the while, we're thinking that, you know, we're justified in living for ourselves and we deserve this. And it's okay to do what we're doing. We ignore the whispers. But the whispers continue. And the whispers continue, but it gets harder to ignore them because the older you get, the more you see that people that are just a little bit older than you come crashing down and their lives are exposed. Things happen that you never thought would happen. Then you get to midlife. And what happens in midlife is that the first half starts cracking and coming apart in more profound ways. Your body starts tearing down and you feel it more. There are challenges in your career that you weren't expecting. There are family challenges that you couldn't even have anticipated. The relationship with your parents changes. And when that starts happening, it's like a whole new beginning. And then you add on top of that, things that you could never have expected happen. The diagnosis, the deaths, and then you start wondering, what in the world is going on? And it gets harder and harder to ignore. 
And all those whispers that we used to hear, they now become, at least possibly, maxims in our lives. And we start realizing, no, my job doesn't satisfy. I'm tired of thinking or hoping that it will. I can't be Jesus for my spouse. Can't believe I thought I could for 10 or 12 years. You start realizing I love my children, but I am a complete and utter inconsistent parent. I'm not perfect. You start realizing, yeah, I've made more money, but I'm really not deep down happy at all. And then what ends up happening is that we end up oftentimes falling into the temptation of being great at covering things up. So we just build a thicker and thicker facade. We just learn how to be more dishonest. We just learn to numb the truth that is in us and we know it. And we just learn to numb it in all kinds of other ways. Are there joys through this? Of course. Are there exciting things that are happening? Of course. But all this stuff is real too. And Jesus is saying, will you put the pieces together? Your life is headed in a direction. You're producing fruit. And all of that is leading to some kind of end. And in the midst of all of that, in the midst of you living your life, realizing that a lot of the first part of your life is just what your parents wanted, and maybe you don't want that. Or maybe you do. Or maybe you're in that quarter life thing in which you're on the uptick but you're hearing the whispers. Or maybe you're in your midlife or beyond and all of that stuff has kind of fallen apart. And there's been joys, but what's been at the foundation? You see, Jesus is wanting us to put all these pieces together so we can really think about what have we built and what are we building our lives on? Because as the analogy goes here with Jesus in 24 through 27, Guess what? The storms are coming. And those of you that are in your quarter life, those of you that are in midlife and beyond, you know it. And there are those of you that are just starting out in life, and you have realized there have been storms too. Some of those storms, unfortunately, happen way too soon in your life. And Jesus is saying the storms are coming Jesus is saying the wind is going to blow and it's going to knock stuff over that you can't control and you certainly can't lift. And the rain's going to hit and it's going to blur your vision and you're not going to be able to see. And when the storm comes, it's going to knock you off course. And Jesus is saying, put these pieces together. He's not bashing the way that life is. He's saying this is the way it is. He's not bashing the midlife struggles that we have. He's saying this is the way it is. Jesus is not bashing any of us or any of the way that our lives have been going and the way that our lives are carrying on or the direction of our lives. He's saying think about it. Will you let the storms expose the foundation? Will you think about why you're producing what you're producing? Will you think about the direction? Will you think about the end? Will you think about why you do everything that you do? Jesus loves us so much that he's saying, don't get caught up in the counterfeit. 
And of course, like we've tried to say almost every week, Jesus is not pushing you away. If you realize that there's much in your life that's counterfeit, guess what? You're the real thing. If you hear these words of Jesus and you're thinking, well, I am incapable of just living for myself. Take this warning seriously. If you're thinking to yourself, you know what, all this stuff that Jesus says, man, I sure know people like this. You've totally missed it. You see, all of us struggle with being counterfeit all the time. All the time. And either it's going to lead us to Jesus and get us out of ourselves in which we realize, oh yeah, I've done everything in my career for me. Jesus, I'm sorry, I repent of that. Teach me what it looks like to live and and work in a different manner. The counterfeit. The reason you know that The reason you know that Jesus is not bashing you is because if you recognize your counterfeit, it gets you out of yourself and into him. But if you hear this and you think, well, that's not me. I'm not capable of doing these things. Jesus is saying, watch out. Because you might be leaning on everything that's just founded on self. And I want you to realize that this is why Jesus came and lived and died and rose again. For all of us counterfeits who think that we can make our lives on our own and we can set our own direction and not think about why we do things and not reflect, who just do the next thing, do the next thing, do the next thing, and the storm comes. And you think God's punishing you, and he's not. And the trial comes, and you think God's against you. He's not. And the wind starts to blow and the rain comes and you think, well, God, why are you doing this to me? It's not because he's against you. He's trying to unearth everything that's inside so that we'll stop thinking and living for self. So that we'll stop just living and doing everything for self. This is what Jesus is doing. Real quick, second point. He is trying to astonish us. And yes, they were astonished at his teaching because it was full of authority. But you know why? Because these people finally heard someone talk about relationship with God in which God was after their heart. He wasn't after just giving them something to do but that there was a God who cared about the deepest part of their being and the winds and the storm and the rain that would come, the suffering, the trials, the unexpected, the hard, the difficult, the impossible, Jesus endured that too. Jesus is saying all those things because he would endure all of them for us. So that when we go through the rain and the wind and the storms, we've got a Savior who's not only been there, but who's with us in it. You see, the purpose of why Jesus wrote all this, you see what Jesus is doing. He's he's not just astonished. He's not only wanting to astonish us, he's inviting us into a whole life commitment to him. Because there's nothing that is left uncovered in what Jesus says. 
He's saying, bring your whole life to me, everything, whether you're five minutes old or 500. None of us are that old. He's saying, bring everything to me, everything, whole life commitment. He doesn't back us into a corner and wants to make some trivial decision. He's saying, bring everything to me. Take this in. Wrestle with it. Think about it. Think about the counterfeit. Think about your life. Think about your life deeply. Why do you do all the good things you do? Why do I do all the good things I do? Am I willing to let Jesus get at my foundation? Are you willing to let Jesus get at your foundation? Are you willing for him to expose it? Are you willing for him to get at the foundation of of your life and my life through storms? Jesus is basically saying, do you want to build your life and identity and reputation and everything else, even all your obedience, do you want to build it on him? Is Jesus enough? He's inviting us to see that the good news of what he has done is for all of our lives, every single part of it. I'll end with this. Jesus cares just as much about the motives the why we do things as the what we do. And he's teaching us that. Jesus is teaching us that obedience, praying, giving, being in relationship with others, caring about everything that he writes about is not to get God's approval or to keep it. Obedience is because you have been approved by God. And you have been accepted by God. Not by what you have done, but what Jesus has done. Jesus is prying us away from dependence on self to make us more dependent on him. And finally, he's helping us understand that to live for self is bondage. And it gets us nowhere with God. Even doing good things gets us nowhere with God. But following Jesus is the path of freedom and hope and love and confidence. And it means the trials that we will go through, the storms, the wind, the rain, it means that it had meaning. It means it's redemptive. Let's pray. Jesus, Your sermon, your words are meant to bring life. And we thank you that you care about our heart and that you care about the deepest part of who we are. So would you help us to care more about the deepest part of who we are and not just ignore that all the time? And would you help us to know and be amazed and astonished and in awe that the God of the universe cares about every detail of our lives. And that every detail is supposed to bring us to you. So help us to hear that and believe it. And to acknowledge that we are counterfeits. So that we might know the real thing. In your name we pray. Amen. If you know that you're a counterfeit already coming in today. 
then you better believe that you need to leave here knowing that what Jesus has done means something for your week. That what he has done means that this week you can know that God's blessing is upon you. So in what I'm about to say, hear it and try to live as if you actually believe it's true this week. The Lord your God is going to bless you and he is also going to keep you. This week, his smile is upon you, and he is going to be gracious to you. And in the week to come, forever and ever, his presence goes with you. And one day, he will make you whole. He will make all things new. The best is yet to come, all because of Christ. Go in peace. Amen.